Mate, this is going to be awesome. He's not stayed to come down for that one. Hit him, hit him. It's more than just a hobby, it's who we are. Cracker. That's why we hunt. Welcome to the Educated Hunter Podcast. This episode of The Educated Hunter is brought to you by Go Native. The legends at Go Native have put together a meal pack specially for our Educated Hunter listeners. This pack contains three of their pre-cooked meal pouches and three servings of mashed potato. You simply just boil them for a couple of minutes to reheat them, add the hot water to the mashed potato and you're good to go. These meals are great because they are high quality, they're tasty and they're very easy to prepare. So you can come back in the dark and within a couple of minutes you can have a high class meal sitting on your plate ready to go. They have also knocked $5 off the price for you, our Educated Hunter listeners. Just follow the link in the show notes or jump onto our website and there's a link there as well. When you get to check out, enter the promo code E-D-U-H-U-N-T-5. Big thanks to Go Native. Hope you take this opportunity to try out a few of their meals. I think once you do, you'll never go back. Today I'm talking to a buddy of mine by the name of Alan Kenny. Alan is very new to hunting and we decided to do this podcast based on his recent journey as a hunter. He lives in British Columbia here in Canada where I'm currently based so he has gone through the motions to become a licensed hunter here in British Columbia. Um, He's native of Ireland so this is all very new to him. So we have a conversation that's loosely based around that but also Alan's profession is around nutrition and personal training. So a lot of what we talk about relates back into training for hunting, getting ready for your hunt and ways that you can best prepare before a hunt and then get the most out of your body during a hunt. It was a a very enjoyable podcast. We sat here and had a couple of beers. I think the Um, There's a lot there to get from it. Sometimes as hunters, I guess we're probably not that great at uh, understanding nutrition. Guys like me who are desk-bound more than I would care to admit, sometimes being in the best shape before you go out on a hunt is not the easiest thing to achieve. So have a listen. Hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. Here's Alan Kenny. Okay. Well, cheers for sneaking away. What is it? Is it Friday? It's Thursday. Thursday evening. Thursday evening. So um, I'm sure your better half is sitting at home getting some time away from you. Yeah, (laughs) starting after dinner. I've got Alan with me here and I'll just foreshadow that. Alan is his name, Alan Kenny, but I I switch between Alan and Kenny depending on how I construct my sentences. So there is only one other person here with me, just for future reference if that comes up during this chat, but... Thanks for coming. Um, there's a couple of different things I want to hit on for this podcast. You're relatively new to hunting. That'd be a fair statement. Yeah, I think I'm pretty pretty fresh. I'd say I'm probably yeah as new as you can come. Really excellent. So I think to start, one of the good things, or a good thing to start with, um, would be: can you just give us a, a a brief rundown of what you do professionally for a living? Yeah, sure. So. Um, so I'm kind of a, a mixed bag in terms of what I do professionally and um, mainly linking nutrition and exercise together. So my undergraduate degree was in a broad sports science and then my master's degree was in sports nutrition. So currently I work as a performance manager for a medical clinic here. Um, so I look after all of the exercise and nutrition um things essentially for weight loss or whether that's sports performance and previously I would have worked with athletes mainly and sports teams back in Ireland um, and corporate wellness as well so kind of a mixed bag doing a bit of nutrition a bit of training some strength and conditioning so trying to keep my fingers in a few different pies really. Right so here in Vancouver you mentioned that you are working with um, how did you put it? Um, in a medical clinic, so medical I, clinic. I work closely with uh, with physicians here to basically um, kind of like manage people's lifestyle as a as a precursor to medication in a way. So we have someone that will come in and we will do performance scans, so a DEXA scan, a VO2 and blood work. And if we can see someone trending towards maybe it's a disease like type 2 diabetes or anything like that, we're, I, I will kind of step in and work with that patient as a kind of um, 
first step ahead of them going on medication or using more radical kind of interventions. Right. So it's a, a fairly scientific slash medical approach, nose to tail of, of health, and you step in in terms of the this is where they are. So what's a DEX? Because Dexastan is scanning your body fat and all that kind of stuff. Is that right? Yeah. So a DEXA scan is the, it'll be the gold standard uh, body composition test you can do. So it's a mild form of an x-ray. So it's a, just a seven to eight minute scan where you lie down and it's, it originally started as a bone density scanner and that's what it's still used for. So you get a full scan of your skeletal frame. You can um, help diagnose osteoporosis and you can get a full analysis of someone's body fat where their lean mass fat mass is distributed their visceral fat which is intra-abdominal fat around your organs and that's a really um that's a really good indicator of um early onset of disease those with higher amounts of visceral fat and that waste adipose tissue tend to have higher risk for type 2 diabetes just generally even heart risk stuff like that Okay, that's interesting. So it's obviously very scientific. In the medical side, it's coupled with um, obviously blood tests and all that kind of stuff. And then you sort of take it over from an academic point of view and think and say, okay, this is what you need to be doing on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month to get better. Yeah, yeah. So we essentially the whole the whole process and what I've been doing really since college is you're trying to analyze where people are at and create an intervention and retest and see what's improved. And from having the background working with athletes, which is essentially why I got into the field was with athletes and I play sport myself. But um, yeah, we're using the exact same interventions. Everyone is an athlete, really. And the, the people that maybe listen to this, that go out and do two, three day hunts and all of that, you'd I'd consider them to be an athlete as well. So that the interventions are the exact same. Um, and it's just, yeah, finding out where... you hear that, Curran? You're an athlete, mate. <laughs> Keep it up. You, um, you've got, yeah, you, we've got some assessments that where, where we start and, and figure out where someone's at and then we can find out and pinpoint areas that they might need more help with. It might be cardiovascular for one person, it might be metabolic, it might be musculoskeletal for another. Okay, so that, I think that gives a, a pretty good general oversight of, of what you specialise in. And from here, I think we want to loop back a little bit and... I guess how long ago since we met? It'd be over just over a year now. Would it be March? It'd be Ooh, June twenty seventeen. Yeah, June twenty seventeen. And um, as a lot of you probably know, I live in Vancouver, which is a, a relatively urbanised centre. Um, there's a lot of people here, a lot of active people here, a lot of healthy people, um, but not a lot of hunters. So I'm always, I guess, fielding questions about hunting or avoiding the subject of hunting because it's just not worth opening that can of worms. Um, in some social settings, you get a few beers of me. I'm more than happy to, to fl- um, get stuck into it. But generally speaking, it's not a. There's not a lot of hunters. But when I met Kenny and his partner Rebecca, um, you were fresh off the boat from Nepal, weren't you? Uh, yeah, we had just done the um, Everest Base Camp track. That was in May of last year. So yeah, and we had just uh, packed our bags and obviously moved over here, not knowing too many people. And yeah, we were fresh off the boat. Yeah, so we we got to chatting, and you'd done Everest, <clears throat> and you'd spent time hiking in Patagonia. And for me, like there's as I said, there's a lot of active people here in Vancouver. People do a lot of quote end quote hiking, um, but generally speaking, I think what initially. Um, drew me to, to Alan and Rebecca was the fact that they'd done base camp and they'd done some stuff in Patagonia and hearing their stories they were um, not unaccustomed to a certain level of discomfort which when you get on some of those longer Asian hikes South American hikes you know at altitude for extended periods of time particularly when you guys are doing it sort of towards the end of the season in Patagonia it can get really really cold so I was thinking in the back of my mind I was like okay these guys are outdoorsy and 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 have got a, a tolerance of uh, you know, a little bit more of the discomfort that hunters tend to face. So I remember that quite well, and we got chatting, had a few beers, and like many people that I've had a few beers with and talked about hunting with, Alan was like, I'd love to try hunting. And I told him the same thing as I tell everybody, is go away and get your firearms license and your hunting license for BC. In six months' time, you'll be eligible to get your get your get your core and your hunting license and then come and see me and to his credit I, I have to say that you know after nearly 10 years of living in Canada you're the first 
non-hunter that's taken the initiative and gone away and actually done that. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you get it a lot of people. Um, you know, it's obviously a, an initial conversation starter when people ask what you do and everyone, I don't know if everyone wants to do it, but if, if that many people have kind of mentioned it to you, like there definitely is a lot of people that kind of would like to do it, but maybe don't have that... Um, inside our kind of avenue or, or link into it but um yeah i mean i i learned a lot going away doing the core and doing the, the firearms course and everything so yeah and no, i'm delighted i did and yeah for our kiwi listeners here in british columbia the core program which is essentially um your hunting license so you go away and you do a day's worth of training and there's a test at the end of it it's very similar to your firearms test but separate so once you have that and you've been a resident of um, for, of British Columbia for a set amount of time and you can essentially um, hunt like a resident. Uh, so what got you thinking about hunting in the first place? Why, you know, you're obviously from Ireland. I'm just going to assume you didn't do any hunting growing up. Is that right? No, yeah, I am. Um, yeah, so I, I, it depends if, if people are familiar with it. But um, so where I grew up in Ireland, I, I grew up in a, you're either kind of in a town or in more in the country and I grew up in a town and not a big town by any means, like 20,000 people or something, but I wouldn't have had any farm experience, any countryside experience, anything like that at all. Um, I think it's more natural for people that are out in the countryside or around farms and around animals more that it's a, an easier thing that they might grow up with. So I had no exposure to it whatsoever. Um, I'm sure you'll kind of cringe a bit when you hear... And some people might too, but I mean, I, I got into doing the outdoorsy stuff in general, like some of the hikes you mentioned, and I'll, I'll maybe loop back to them. But like listening to the Joe Rogan podcast uh, has actually exposed me to a lot of people like the the Cam Haynes and Adam Greentree and Steve Ranella and all, all those kind of guys that I, I guess I had never even really been exposed to any hunters. I heard people talk about it and I was kind of fascinated Um listening to that and I said me and my friends would have listened to, to those shows and I said definitely when I was moving to Canada I thought it would be way more of a accessible thing to do there is some hunting you can do in Ireland but it's not anything I'm familiar with or like where I think there's some deer in Wicklow but that's about it Um so yeah when I said I when I was moving to Canada I just said yeah that was definitely one of the things that I wanted to do Um and the other real kind of driving factor is that being a nutritionist, it, like I also have that sort of link to it where like and I would preach to everyone that we should eat clean, whole, natural, unprocessed foods and, and you should really minimize the steps between you and your food. And hunting is the most the most obvious form of that where you're literally you're you're involved in the process from from obviously harvesting the meat right to your, your plate and you, no one else has touched it and I think listening to some of them podcasts maybe when they spoke about that connection and stuff you have with your food it might sound a bit kind of whatever but um yeah no I definitely think that, that that's something that I've been able to experience now and something that I would kind of believe in and I do have I mean I would love to eventually someday down the line have you know a small plot of land and be able to hunt and source most of my meat that way and have some hens and have some eggs and have some a vegetable patch and grow some herbs and really try and minimize the steps between me and my food yeah i I totally agree with you it's it's an interesting dichotomy the podcast world i think is is doing a very good job and when i say podcast world, i'm talking about longer forms of media where you can sit down and have a conversation like this and you know, talk about things in the long form. One of the, the issues with hunting, and I think one of the issues that we face is, you know, social media, um, you know, we're putting out, you know, your grip and grin photos or photos of hunting, and that gets into people's um, bubbles that have never hunted before, and that can be quite hard for people to deal with. So social media in a lot of ways has damaged hunting a lot in the past, well, since it's been a thing and done a lot of damage to hunting and it's given a platform for anti-hunters to inflame the um, the emotions of the otherwise uneducated or people who haven't had a contact to hunting, you know, touch on their emotions and get them wound up about something that they don't really understand. Um, and there's been a lot of 
situations in the past years where you get these massive social media outrages around something to do with hunting and that's I think as a hunting community we've sustained a lot of damage that way but the flip side of that is podcasts are becoming more popular and Joe Rogan is a guy that you know I've always followed Joe Rogan right from when we started watching UFC 10 years ago when I first moved to to North America and I've really enjoyed his podcast journey and his hunting journey going from essentially a non-hunting fighting martial arts guy in LA to where he is at now where he is very well versed and quite well educated in hunting and I think because he had such an established audience you being one of them as he went through that journey in the long form that a lot of people now have questions about hunting that perhaps they would have dismissed earlier so you're certainly not the only one what was that article i sent you the other day like the new breed of hunter and oh hipster, hipster hunting hunters. or something yeah <laughs> yeah i guess i'm one of them there yeah exactly which is people who are more conscious about the nutritional side of things and being more connected and having a um a bit more of a social responsibility about where your meat comes from um but have grown up in an urban environment so it's a it's an interesting movement you and there's a magazine the modern huntsman that's uh, created in part by a friend of mine, Tyler Sharp. Um, that it's, you know, it's a great publication. I don't know if you've seen that. Have you seen that? No, no. Okay, so it's they, it's a biannual or maybe a triannual magazine that comes out. Beautiful photography um, and tries to st- tell the stories sort of outside of hunting. You know, rather than just a grip and grin, more about the people and the land and the conservation and the, um, you know, sort of that subliminal message that we all feel as hunters but struggle to articulate and I was looking at it the other day and I follow their Instagram re- religiously and so ever since I read that hipsters article I'm like yeah that's what Tyler's doing his his magazine is very much catered yeah. towards the hipster hunter and I, I think it's you know there may be negative connotations with that when people hear it but from a North American perspective I really think that that hipster hunter is the future of hunting in North America for sure. In New Zealand, it's a little bit different because there is less separation between, at this stage, you know, hunting and urbanisation. Like people who live in cities, a lot of them still have friends who live on farms or friends that hunt. So that connection is still there. Whereas there's been several generations now in North America where people have gone through a process of not hunting and not knowing anyone who's hunt who hunts for one or two generations, they're completely separated from it. And now they're sort of coming back in and they're bringing this more, I guess you'd call it hipster vibe to it and attacking it from a different way. So uh, Rebecca, your partner, is open to the idea because she listens to the podcast too, doesn't she? Yeah. So like she actually would have had more experience of any of that stuff than me because um she did um, some farm work in Australia and I think she had to shoot some stuff on a farm in Australia. <laughs> so she was exposed to it a lot more than me. And I think in New Zealand, like trap possums or something like that as well. So, yeah, I mean, I had really no prior experience whatsoever. So I definitely learned a lot that first day when we went up for the hunt. Um, and I've, I've been asked plenty of times since, like even by people at home and people on that seen my Instagram and like, geez, what was it like and stuff. And like, it's not an enjoyable thing. Like I would stress that. And that's, I, I kind of was expecting that anyway from what I had heard, but like, it's not a, it's, it's a different kind of thing you're doing. It's not, it's when you not say like, enjoyable thing, you mean the actual pulling of the trigger? Is that what you're talking about? I mean, about? yeah, the actual, yeah, that you've pulled the trigger and the animal is dead down in front of you. I mean, I don't think that was like the, it's not like a, there's excitement and everything because it's gone running but like when you settle yourself it's like it's not a like it's not a like bloodthirsty kind of thing where it's like cool like want to shoot a shoot more or anything like that it's you have a real kind of respect for I guess like an appreciation for the animals you know that was kind of a a moment there where, when we went down to the to the deer and it was like Jesus like uh and yeah. then um I guess the other thing that really stuck with me from that day was well, two things. One was just how fragile I think we are, because when you, when we started to like field dress the deer and we're opening it up, like the things coming out are the exact same as if I was, if it was a human, you know, liver comes out, heart comes out the same size and even just how easily you're able to open it. I mean, if you had laid me down and stuck the knife up my stomach, <laughs> I would have opened up just like that. So it definitely made me be like, geez, we're pretty fragile. And 
I think part of it as well is I'm I'm a big meat eater and I'm a big proponent of eating you know, a higher protein diet than the average person are used to and the, the best sources of that are animal sources. And I think there's a big disconnect now in today's world where you know, people will eat a high protein diet and will go out and order a plate of chicken wings, but you kind of have to be willing to witness 10 chickens dying for that, you know, or at least have that understanding that that's actually happening or taking place. You know, I I think, yeah, there's a big disconnect today where people are, will like gladly be meat eaters, yet will, you know, take offense if they see a picture of someone hunting or something like that on Instagram. So, yeah. Yeah. So that first hunt for everybody, it was context. I mean, Kenny got very lucky. We, we just went for a day. We drove up um, in British Columbia here up a logging road and then we got out and we walked and it was raining and snowing and it was pretty unpleasant to be honest with you but we sort of walked to the end of a, <clears throat> a road and then did a loop back and with a window in our face and we were lucky enough to pick up a um, a nice buck it was a black tail so a coastal black tail uh, they're classified in British Columbia it's the same tag you'll get from mule deer but um, closer to the coast they tend to be smaller body size smaller antlers um, so it all worked really well. It was one of those hunts where we went out and everything sort of fell into place like it should have. And you, to be honest with you, you, you couldn't get a better introduction into hunting. It was all very controlled, very, I don't want to say laid back. What's the right word? It was, it all happened. There was no, nothing went squirrely, nothing went haywire. So it was a good first introduction to hunting. I often feel it's a very um, tender time for a new hunter, that first time you go out. Like, you know, if you go out with the wrong people, the wrong group of people who are doing it for the wrong reasons or if something happens and, you know, it doesn't quite go as well as you should or you have to go out 10 times before you even see an animal, all these things can sort of put you off long term from hunting. So I was really happy from my perspective of getting you out there and, you know, making sure we, you know, were lucky enough to harvest something and then making sure we went through the whole process of breaking it down from nose to tail and we were lucky enough that. We don't have to carry it very far, but I put it on your back anyway, just for the hell of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely won't forget that part. <clears throat> uh, it was pretty heavy, um, but yeah, no, I like I, I understand better now since I've done another trip with you, a, a weekend one where we camped out and it was a lot chillier, and um, I understand now the how, how kind of maybe lucky I got that day. And I think I said it to you after the the last time we did that. I probably didn't realize the the amount of luck required as well. Like you can prep and plan and do all of the things, but at the end of the day, there's a big element of luck involved that there will be a, you know, a, a suitable book or whatever you're looking for in the right area and that you're seeing it at the right time and that you're able to get it back out. And there's a, yeah, there's a lot more to it. Even I've had people comment being like, oh, you didn't get anything this time. It's like, no, like Jesus, yeah. like that doesn't happen like <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting perspective because you, you go out and it's it still still happens in New Zealand um, when people were like, you know, oh, you've been hunting in the weekend, did you get anything? No. And then in their mind, the first thing and the way they react is that's, okay, you failed, right? Um, and that was has certainly been the attitude of a lot of hunters and people who are around hunting for a long time in New Zealand because we have the situation where we don't have tags, limits, restrictions on sizes, um, seasons, all that kind of stuff that we can harvest stuff on a pretty regular basis. So our benchmark for success for a very long time in New Zealand was purely did you get something? And it was interesting seeing some of the reactions on your Instagram and, and people saying, you know, you didn't get anything, hashtag shit hunter or something like those lines, right? And I, I just it just makes me giggle internally because these are people on your Instagram that probably had no, ex- you know, no exposure to hunting. And I think there's a perception that in Canada or anywhere that you go hunting, that if you haven't hunted before, people perceive the fact you just literally just go out there and shoot yourself an animal. Like they think the animals are just going to be standing there looking at you. You just sort of walk up to them and blow them away, have a few cans and a laugh and, you know, get your grip and grin photo and drag it out and it's all done and dusted. Until you've actually hunted and been involved, it's it's a much different, more difficult process. So although your first hunt was about as good as you can expect on your first hunt, I was also conscious that we really needed to get you out again this season to show you, you know, the, the other side of it. And of course, you know, you come in mule deer hunting with me, and I set my 
goalposts way back when it comes to mule deer. Like we harvested your deer early on, which means both of our tiny little apartment box size freezers are chocker. Um, not to mention I've got caribou and moose from my guiding season. So I, you know, we couldn't really deal with a hell of a lot more meat. So we put the goalposts a little bit further out for my mule deer season. I'm, um, hunting for in, in that area it has to be mature buck with you know bifurcated antlers on one side so f- at least four points not counting the brow tine so that automatically cuts out 85 percent of the deer right from there so you know one in two and ten deer or one in five deer you see might be big enough and then i put another restriction on that because i'm looking for something quite special that i want to put on the wall so you you're really looking at maybe one in 100 deer that you're looking for so you you put this, you know, bid restriction on yourself, and then on top of that, we were hunting at end of November in the mountains, backpacking. You know, the the deer that we did see were right up on top of the mountain, and up to their chests in snow. Like it's not an easy place to survive. Even that first evening glassing was, you know, it knocks you around. Yeah, no, definitely that was pretty cold. Um, <clears throat> but like that, that's honestly the what I kind of wanted to to do and see as well and I, I think I said as well I was I was nearly more excited to see you get one there the, the last day because obviously the, it would have been a big book because you obviously had the standards and then I would have maybe even just seen you go through the process of you know like you know sizing it up taking your shot and doing all of that like so um just uh, honestly just to collect more experience really was the main thing and like even on that first day when we went you know, you had you had it all very controlled, and he had told me what to do and that. But um, we kind of stumbled upon the deer, and there wasn't much time to think then. So I had kind of maybe visualized before what it might be like, and what you would do, and what position you'd be in, and how you'd see it, and all. So there wasn't even time to really think through any of that. So I think the last day I had more time when we were glassing and doing all of that. But really, like I was just trying to soak up some you know some learning just stay out of the way and just see see what goes on and and it definitely gave me more of a more of a realistic I, I guess kind of expectation of what it is and I'm glad to to kind of jump in at that end and not be maybe skip the whole driving around and like go just going for easy books and uh, like I don't re- not not that I don't have an interest in that but like I'd rather do it not the hard way but I'd rather get the full authentic thing and and I think we spoke about I'd rather be out there and in the environment of the animal and doing some sort of stalking or tracking or something like so there's a there's more to it and it's an authentic experience I I, I think that I guess that would be a value then that that's kind of good or shared so if you, if you start hunting with someone that maybe doesn't share those values it's Maybe something then that is bypassed and then miss out on that whole experience. So yeah, and I mean you were with me and and Sam, and Sam's done a lot of guiding around the world and a lot of hunting himself. Um, so both of us have been in and around hunting for a long time. So it was fun having you along because the the small things were all new to you and and exciting to you. You know the crossing lynx tracks was you know or moose tracks. You know you I could see the enjoyment you were getting out of just being out in the place that we were because hunters go places that nobody else goes because there's no other reason to go there other than to hunt like you're away from the established trails if you're just going to go for a walk then you stick to what's organized safe and got plenty of hashtags on instagram right that's how you find a good place to go hiking in vancouver you know and they're all mapped out trails and you know exactly how long it's going to take and you you know there's paragraphs on which bits are steep and which bits are flat you know, where we were going, I'd taken a quick look at a map book and a shot of Google Maps and sort of got a general idea and you sort of head in there and don't really know what to expect. And then we sat in the wind on that first night and suffered up on the bridge. I mean, we were glassing a spot that was nice and sheltered, so good chance that we might come out. But it occurred to me when we were talking about that on the way home, like, unless you're hunting, there's no real reason to sit there. You, you, you just wouldn't. No, definitely not. I, I, I wouldn't sit there anyways. Um, it definitely gave me a, a perspective on the gear required and stuff too as well. 
because as we were sitting on the hill glass and I was looking at my shoes and trousers and I was like this is exactly what I'd wear for a hike in the summer nearly you know so I was like maybe I need to get a bit more um clothes for it now luckily enough I haven't done the hikes and done the Patagonia and stuff like that I had some exposure to that but I mean for me I I don't know I kind of swear but I don't know if it's an Irish thing or not but we we I'd always nearly say like do do it the hard way like you know a bit of hardship is just like get comfortable being uncomfortable like that I love all that that that's really what got me into the first mountain I did was Kilimanjaro and then um I had I'd never climbed anything before that and just said I right, screw it I'm that's as high as you can go without any prior experience so signed up and two of my buddies came and we we had one of the best trips ever and to climb that and then I kind of got an eye for it and was like you know, people don't challenge themselves enough like and you know more people would do that sort of stuff if they realized how doable it kind of is and then that led to like doing Everest and then when me and Rebecca went to South America it was like we were looking up things like that like you know doing Patagonia and so I guess all that's kind of helped and with the hunting too I mean yeah I'd rather you'd appreciate it more after you know having a bit of hardship and you know when you look back I'll look back on that past weekend and I'll remember us sitting around the fire eating eating the whitetail and eating the the sausages and having a beer or two there. I'll probably not remember too keenly the 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 wind and the cold and stuff, but the the bad memories will fade quicker than the the good ones. Yeah. And I mean Joe Rogan, I mean we've already talked about his podcast, but he talks about yeah. Or it might be Steve Renella, I can't remember. One of the two. Talk about your cheap thrills that you get on a roller coaster, which is, you know, exciting, scary now. And then your your long term experiences that you value in the long term. And generally they're not although there are fun moments, there's often moments of hardship and challenge and being uncomfortable intertwined, which make those, I think, more meaningful experiences shine through. And that's something that with hunting, you can you can get those every time you go out hunting because you control where the goalposts are. Like you, you have your own um, your own moral standards and your own internal thresholds, and that's a very personal thing on on you know what kind of animal you're looking for and why and what your motivations are. But you can certainly make a hunt as hard as you want it to be, and I think that for you know that upcoming generation of hunters and, and certainly the guys and girls that I associate with in the industry that's certainly the biggest benefit that we get out of it is um, the overall experience that goes along with it the filling your freezer with good clean protein is a is an added bonus at the end of the day yeah definitely um yeah I mean it's it's that that would have been the, the main one that kind of got me into it, I suppose was the meat too and luckily enough now we have some meat for the next few months but um yeah, I, I fully agree. I think we're we're gone soft generally. Like, I mean, we <laughs> I look around here I, and we're guilty of it too. I mean, on on the second day of that hunt, I have to admit, I was just thinking I can't wait to get home and shower and get into my dressing gown, which is <laughs> probably not the best thing to admit. But um, yeah, we, we have our luxuries and we have our nice comforts and we, we get really used to that. And it's, it's good to just, you know, get out of that and remind yourself and give yourself a bit of hardship and you know you as soon as you get going it's fine and generally you respond well to it but I mean if you avoid those things it's it's not good in the long term for your physical health and I mean even look mental health it's good to get out and do some exercise and go out and actually have a structured kind of task where you're you're going from an A to B or you have a task at hand and yeah like you, you set set some goals and achieved them it's it's pretty simple but it's it's really it's really powerful in a way like yeah it really is so what's next for you for the hunting stuff do you know um, what do you want to do next i don't know Le- learn how to shoot better i guess and yeah i definitely want to like maybe get to a range and do like have some that so i can be fully confident um when I get out there, like as I look at the magazine there, I look at a, an, an elk. I think that, I don't know, I'd, I'd, I elk is a really tasty meat and, and 
I guess that would have been one of the ones that was synonymous with hunting when I was first ever thinking about it, especially coming to Canada. I was thinking like, geez, like there'd be elk and all sorts there. I've never even seen an elk, to be honest. So, um, <laughs> And like, I've never seen a moose either. So that's yeah. why I was excited the other day. I've never seen a lynx. I've seen, never seen a grizzly, seen a black bear. But um, yeah, like uh, to, just for context, I guess there's, there's nothing like that in Ireland at all. So you're, it's a total new exposure a new environment to, to be in so honestly I think if I can just keep doing a bit and learning a bit more even now my Instagram now team tends to be filled in the explore section with some more hunting people and stuff maybe from just following from your page and the podcast and stuff so I'm definitely more aware of it and seeing a bit more um but yeah I guess just take it bit by bit and try to learn a bit more and when elk is a is a good good goal i think i mean it's it's certainly doable here in british columbia and we'll help you that out i mean and it's a probably a the next step up for you too probably a slightly extended trip so we're talking more like three or four days to have a crack um we'll get you in for we'll put in a draw for over on the island too it's a little bit more handy but they're pretty long odds but yeah i, I think that's a really good progression and i we can go shoot over the winter the thing is that what's the day-to-day 29th hunting season basically closes tomorrow so once she's closed down, all the deer will close. There's a few close, well, limited season goat hunting and there might be a couple of zones that are open to the 15th of December, but mostly everything else is shut down. So we're basically going to wait until next year before we can get back into it. So we can go to a range and work on your shooting technique and do that kind of thing. And by the time next year rolls around, you'll probably find that you're champing at the bit to get out there and get amongst it. Yeah, definitely. Um, no, it's something I, I, I look forward to. Um, and there's so much to it as well. I mean, it's just good, I think, as well for people to to just try to learn new things because I've had conversations with my friends about that. And I guess when you finish college, you nearly <clears throat> obviously stay up to date with some reading and different things and papers and stuff. But like, you know, you stop doing new tasks as soon as you as soon as you reach adulthood like most people just stop learning and stop doing new things so i don't know it's it's when you're learning something that you have an interest in it's quite easy to look into and you don't mind spending a bit of time and figuring out a bit more and maybe listening to those podcasts and you take you absorb some of that stuff more than if it's if you're if it's an educational podcast or something like that and yeah i think just learning something new is good for people because you're obviously a big advocate of that because you just sign up to a jujitsu ju get to the gym as well yeah so yeah i've i've literally just signed up so um i had done a few classes in ireland like maybe five or six classes um but hadn't really properly signed up and again just to do something new and learn something and just get start at the bottom from something else and just like kind of you know when you start at the bottom as well your progression leaps are, are quite big whereas i play soccer as well and I'm not going to get a whole lot better at soccer now compared to jiu-jitsu where I can do that then for many years whereas like I'll probably not be playing soccer and Gaelic which is the Irish football for I'll probably not be playing that beyond 34 or 5 really like so um so yeah I'll be a big proponent of that for sure that's really cool you almost convinced me on the track on my home that I should sign up for jiu-jitsu I I I was thinking about it the other day and it's obviously a, a pretty um strong influence coming from the the rogan podcast as well which i i totally understand but i really like the proponent of putting yourself in situations where you are learning something new yeah i feel a bit really cliche though uh, between jiu-jitsu and hunting now after and listening to joe rogan <laughs> i'm sure people are shaking their heads but um it could be anything you know like i just like physical activity you know just do something and start from the bottom and get better at it like it's a simple enough process really you'll thoroughly enjoy archery when you give a chance of doing that okay that's um it's like joe rogan bingo then yeah yeah exactly (laughs) he's into that too i guess um but i mean for me in the hunting vein um i mean i've guided countless numbers of bow hunters over the years and um and beans you know been through all the trials and tribulations that bow hunting goes along with not to mention uh, filming for shocky when he was doing you know 95 percent muzzle loader hunting which is you know still you can reach out there a bit further with a muzzle loader than you can with a bow but it does you know cut your range down significantly compared to a high-powered rifle so 
going through that whole muzzleloader phase of my life when I was filming and then getting into the more back into the guiding stuff and doing a lot of archery it really inspired me to to pick up a bow and then when I picked that up it was like learning how to hunt all over again and it gave me I mean I've never been a particularly good shot you know I can shoot 300 yards and hit a pie plate that's good enough for me I don't generally shoot any further than that um and I'm you know been doing it since I was knee high to a duck so it comes relatively natural to me and I don't necessarily ever have to really work on my shooting I might go to the range and you know shoot a couple of groups and call it good um but when I picked up a bow and I sucked at it it's a really it really invigorates a the learning something new and it's quite humbling um and really as a hunter it really hones your skills of sneaking up on stuff and makes you really have to you can get a lot get away with a lot with a high powered rifle particularly at shorter ranges like you can get away with a lot of bad habits because ha- everything happens so quickly and the bullets moving so quickly um you know small things don't make a huge difference so you don't really have to be that honed and you can get away with a you know an ethical kill shot um when you start <clears throat> trying to shoot things with a stick and string you know those little you know quivers or quakes or quirks and um, flaws in your technique you know end up to be big issues further down range so yeah you'll enjoy that and as you know yeah i think they're the real they'll be the real hipster hunters the ones who go and go straight into bow hunting and well, the thing is that to, to if they go level. straight into bow hunting it's hard man like <laughs> yeah it'll take you it's very hard to get enough opportunities in north america and a lot of places particularly if you're a hipster hunter out of here in vancouver like if you pick up a bow and say i'm just going to bow hunt there's only a few places in the province you know coastally that you could hunt backtail that you would there are enough numbers there that you can have enough opportunities to make those learning curves as a hunter if you've never hunted before and you pick up a bow and try and hunt spot and stalk it's going to be a frustrating experience for you because it's it's literally like going, you know, it's I don't know what's the best. It's like a black belt of hunting, right? You like everything has to be perfect. Your technique, your your stalking, your you know, knowing when to move, knowing when to not. There's a lot of understanding what the animal's doing, and you only get that by seeing and watching a lot of animals that don't know you're there to be able to predict when they're going to take a step forward, when you can move, when you have to stay still. If you're trying to learn that on the fly out of never hunted before, you're you're going to – well, I mean, I'm sure you could get lucky, but you're not going to consistently kill stuff. Mm. There's absolutely no chance. And I I know a lot of very accomplished hunters, very accomplished guys that have gone to bow hunting and been heavily humbled very quickly, me included. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. But yeah, okay, so let's loop back now. I think um, you can probably offer some interesting insight with reference to your career and what you do for a living and that knowledge base you have, and then we'll try and loop that back into hunting. So obviously over the weekend, we did a little bit more of a strenuous hunt. (laughs) She said to you on the way home, I said, how do you train for something like that? And you said, you can't. And I was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. Um, But, you know, for a let's say let's do a two or three day hunt on the hill. What's what would be important to you know prep during and after? Yeah, so well, I look at it from two strands really, from a dietary point of view, and then from a from a physical from a physical readiness point of view. So, um, even starting with the physical stuff, like like I said, it's it's very hard to train for, and obviously, I'll speak on it in terms of like what what an athlete should do based on what is the required things i mean obviously people will have their own experiences than that are out there doing it years and years that will pick up on more things but i mean generally it's a general physical preparedness gpp is just a type of train and it's it's basically like a a foundational block that uh, we have in the industry in terms of training and, and what that is is just like a bit of everything because essentially you don't want to be you don't want to be the strongest you can be and carry in big bulk because your muscles are going to use up a lot of oxygen you also have to carry that bulk you don't want to be 
super incredible endurance because like if you look at your marathon run or your ultra marathon or anything like that like usually that's associated with a smaller lighter frame people are usually not going to carry the most amount of muscle mass so you you your ideal scenario is you've uh, you're touching on bits of everything and you're not too far down any one avenue and gpp is just really when you're trying to get someone stronger at everything so you're trying to improve your endurance you're trying to improve your strength you're trying to improve everything really like your flexibility your mobility and and when we look at what you've got to be able to do i mean you've got to have good conditioned leg strength that that would be a big one that i mean when i had to backpack that deer out i was just thinking every single step up was just like doing a heavily weighted like step up like a dumbbell step up so that was one exercise that is definitely something that's going to be like uh, exactly (laughs) as you do in the field and obviously you're, you're going to be walking for like seven to eight hours a day and then if you catch something your field rest in your pack and you're going to be walking under load and really to improve your endurance for it is hard to do without actually getting out and doing some rocking or some some backpack walking and really that's hard to replicate in any gym environment you can get stronger in a gym and you can improve your cardiovascular function and you can improve your you can do higher intensity cardio and you can you know lose some weight and do all of that but like your endurance stuff is really going to be from actually getting out and walking and ideally you're doing that with some form of weight on your back um i mean the other thing it, it may be more in, in with diet but i mean ideally you're not carrying too much body fat because if you think about it like body fat beyond a certain point is unnecessary and once you're into unnecessary body fat that's just actual dead weight so if you're five kilos overweight if your body fat is like you're carrying five kilos too much that's literally five kilos extra you're carrying around and that's all going to be taxing on your body in terms of your your energy and balance so that's obviously not going to be ideal too um in terms of like the strength training that people would do it's it's again gpp a broad spectrum a a mix of upper body a mix of lower body a mix of core and cardio and really what you want to be looking at doing is for people to be using functional exercises compound movements so lower body things like deadlift squats hip thrusts things like lunges and particularly working on some single leg strength so like dumbbell step ups some single leg romania deadlift some lunging reverse forward lunging back lunging and core in terms of core if if people have no experience and the most common things people see when we think of core is people do in your sit up or plank or whatever it may be but i mean it, your core is never really working in a static position it's all it's it's everything between your hips and shoulders and it's always going to be working in some form of rotation either resistant rotation or assistant rotation so like things like bear crawls things like um you know some hanging knee raises things that are using your core in a functional manner are always going to be more important than say just holding a plank or doing sit-ups um and then your upper body general stuff you've got to have some pulling strength some pushing strength so compound movements would be things like chin-ups pull-ups bench press barbell row and then you can get into your beach muscle stuff where <laughs> your your small like isolated muscle things which what your general people do a lot more of which is going to be like tries by stuff like that but for your general foundational strength for getting out into the field and doing some hunting the the main things i would look at doing is ideally get your body weight into a, a better if, if body weight is a factor try get your your body weight down try try drop some fat um, and you got to have a good mix of upper body lower body core and a, a decent endurance base and the endurance base is really hard to do in a gym setting other than just getting out and i remember when we were training for i think it might have been kilimanjaro to, to prepare for it because obviously people are working monday to friday you can't exactly prepare for a four-day hunt by taking four days off already so what they had told us to do which was really good um practical advice was to go on like a long hike one day on a saturday say like your seven eight hour hike and just get up and go again the next day and do the same one and because that's the real kicker is when you have to get up and go again the next day and really i would think i would place a high value on getting out and doing stuff in the actual cold because like I can sit here and look at it and and talk about the you know the muscular strength you'll need or the amount of calories you you could consume but when you're sitting there and you're freezing and you're cold and you're wet it's it's more of a mental challenge than than anything so even even 
you can have all that physical attributes and have a good physical base, but if you're not prepared for the the shit, essentially, like it's all going to be kind of worthwhile. So like actually getting out and doing some some physical things. I mean, if you think of your average things like tough mother and those Spartan races and all those things, they're they're pretty. They're pretty okay as well in terms of like they're going to give people you like the way you train for them is the same. You try to do a bit of everything like they're a good benchmark for people to do and you're going to do a bit of suffering in a more controlled environment because it's going to be cold. You're going to be wet. You might get electrocuted and stuff. So they're actually <laughs> they're actually probably not the worst sort of um, prep for it as well. Yeah. And then in terms of nut- nutrition, I mean, you're looking at in terms of preparation ideally getting your body weight down because you don't want to be carrying that excess weight but there's two or three main things that that you're up against when you're out there and depending on the length of the hunt if it's a day hunt it's it's usually not going to be a major issue but um like for long endurance events and like really what you're doing it's a major feat of endurance if you're out stalking and and moving about all day uh one of the biggest things that you're trying to fight against is muscle breakdown so over the course of a few days if you're in a heavy calorie deficit which is usually what people are going to be because people are going to burn you know depending on the weight of the person you're probably going to be burning four or five six thousand calories a day and to consume that amount of calories means you also have to carry that amount of calories in so usually people are going to be in some form of a calorie deficit and if you're in a calorie deficit your body will break down tissue and that tissue can be muscle or fat so if people have don't have enough protein in their diet or don't bring enough protein with them you'll have you know people can start to lose some muscle over the course so if you think back maybe in some of your really longer guides you're probably losing a lot of muscle mass when you're out there um the other thing that people are are up against is really hydration and and dehydration in particular. So you've got a like your average person I I find doesn't drink enough water anyways. Like really if you're looking at a it's usually about a liter per 25 kilo. So if you look at a 75 kilo man, you should be having 3 liters of water a day and most people don't do that anyways. And then if you add on top of it the um amount you lose through sweating and through your physical activity each of the days you're probably needing four to five liters of water a day and that's going to be a challenge in itself so bringing some electrolyte tablets or some electrolyte sachets your your standard you know like pedialyte or any of of those things that um will have your standard potassium magnesium and stuff like that will they're really good as well because they'll offset some of that dehydration as well and when you're dehydrated that's going to have an an effect when even on your mental attitude, everything's going to be a little bit more labor than in my experience from maybe not from our weekend hunting, but from doing Everest where it's like a 10, 12 day hike and doing Kilimanjaro, which is like the seven days is it's not, it's not one big thing that usually gets people. It's, it's a accumulation of little things that someone's a little bit dehydrated. They're a little bit pissed off. They're then like, they're not using a buff. So they get, dust in their nose and then their nose is at them and then their lips are dry and it's all these little things that add up and then someone really loses all motivation and then when you have no motivation and then people are like then they might eat a meal and then they mightn't and it's just a, a accumulation like a snowball effect so i think um yeah the two main things dietary are going to be hydration and trying to fight that calorie deficit so you want to have like high calorie meals and high calorie foods now you can you can have your your you know your recommended ones that are healthy and that are really really good but like i'd also be a proponent of bringing stuff that you enjoy and eat a bag of wine gums up there and if you want some sugar get some sugar into you because you're probably working off a calorie deficit anyway so the more calories you can get in the better so i wouldn't free chocolate bars (laughs) (laughs) you can honestly bring like i would have a a mix of 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 bit of both so on that hunt and, and on some of my longer treks i would definitely bring some form of like a trail mix nuts are going to be a high calorie food that is going to contain some healthy fats and contain protein so some form of a trail mix with some granola and and something like that is always going to be good you've got your protein bars jerky is going to be a really good high protein option that isn't going to take up a lot of weight and anything beyond an overnight i would definitely be recommending people use the dehydrated meals like I think there's about 600 calories per meal in those. I think they recommend it for two people, but your standard male is probably looking for um, 
to eat one himself per meal. Um, and I think there's about 30 to 40 grams of protein in, in most of them if you're getting the meat option too. So an easy way, and this would be for day-to-day recommendations, people should generally eat at least one and a half times their body weight in grams of protein per day. So if you've got an 80 kilo person, they should be eating at least 120 grams of protein a day. And if you can get more in and and times of strenuous activity, it should be more. So if you can get, that should be a a minimum base. That's usually a good starting point and that will prevent that muscle breakdown and encourage people to to burn a little bit more fat, especially when they're in that deficit. Right. So on a, on a hunt that you might be away sort of three, four days, and then we'll just use a, say, a mountain hunting in New Zealand, that recovery, is there anything that you can do, sort of make a routine at the beginning and the end of each day to try and minimize that lack of recovery or maximize your recovery for the following day? Yeah, well, from a physical standpoint of being prepared for that and exposing your body to that continuous lactic acid and endurance is going to leave you in a better position. So it's not a total new experience. But from a nutrition standpoint, um, carbohydrates and protein are your two main ones. Um, I like you know, I find people tend to under eat a little bit. Like when you're out in the in the in the bush or wherever you are it's not a time to be on your diet like it's not a time to be worried it's it's a time to stuff yourself at every opportunity um because even if you even when you are conscious of trying to eat and maximize each eat each eating opportunity you're still probably looking at a calorie deficit and when you're in those deficits like your your doms or muscle soreness is going to be that bit worse so um yeah i would I, like low gi or slow releasing carbohydrates are going to be your predominant um main fuel source so that would be things like oats um like a decent granola if you can get some rice if you're bringing like some potato or something or uh, that might come from any of them meals like flapjack stuff like that are all going to be good um same with that trail mix and then it's also getting adequate protein so my rules for people generally speaking would be that every single eating opportunity you have you should be getting a full source of protein in that meal um, and if you do that, if that will act as a protective measure for recovery. And then the only other one on top of that would be hydration. Because yeah. if you're dehydrated, like everything's going to be that slower, like it's going to slow your recovery down. Everything's going to be that bit more labored and you're going to feel it a bit more. Yeah. So for a full size bloke, if you're eating, you know, your three meals plus snacks for a day, you should be putting away so 25, 30 grams of protein every time you eat something really just to keep it. At least, yeah. So ideally, you'd want 30 to 40 grams in your breakfast, lunch and dinner, and then more on top of that in your snacks. And it's when you it's not a number that people will stumble upon, especially if they haven't been practicing it already. So it's not a time to it's not a time to to try out new things or it's not a time to be like, okay, I'll start eating more protein now because I'm hunting. It should be done trying to get into that habit regularly because your body has to get used to it and maybe you mightn't be used to having such a big feed in the morning but um when people do that you'll kind of wonder how you got by without doing that really so um yeah it, most people tend to eat protein at lunch and dinner because but most people miss out on the breakfast and snacks so especially when even like some bringing some whey protein and then mixing that in with some porridge would be a great first first meal first right, first so meal of the day protein powder yeah bring some protein powder mix that in with some oats and when you're having your porridge in the morning you've got a substantial meal then it's taking off carbs and protein nice that's a good tip i like that fasting got any advice about that it seems to be a, <laughs> a buzzword yeah. it's a bit of a buzzword but i've been playing with it for probably over a year now and i've had sort of mixed results depending on how i do it does it have any sort of place in the hunting world do you think um yeah, so I mean, I'll, I'll practice some fasting some days as well. Um, and fasting, what we're talking about is intermittent fasting, so periods of structured periods of not eating and structured periods of eating. Um, so the most common one that people will do is like a 16-8 split, so 16 hours uh, not eating and 8 hours of eating. Um, yeah, I mean, I, like for me, look, when, when people, people throw around fasting a lot now and you pick up any magazine and like nothing has really changed in terms of nutrition. Every food is either some form of carbs, proteins or fat. That's always been the case. And calories are always king. And no, none of that has really changed. But now we've, we've various different things and people are keto or intermittent fasting. And I deal with it a lot with clients. Um, 
like the foundation of most of these is, is basically just putting you in a calorie de- de- deficit. Like if you have someone and they're eating paleo, they're eating less carbs, it's usually going to bring their calories down. And it's the same with fasting. If you've got your average person that starts intermittent fasting, they're probably eating less than they were eating before because they have less of a window to eat. Now, if you're a proponent of it, I mean, you're so say, for example, if you were eating 2000 calories and 150 grams of protein a day and maybe 400 grams of carbs a day and whatever it was and you had your you had your macros and stuff done out if you start fasting you should still eat that same amount in that window it's not like you just chop off a meal so if i was doing a day of fasting the breakfast that i would normally eat which is most likely or usually a protein smoothie i'll bring that with me and have that later on in in the day so it's still the same amount so for me the benefits of fasting Anytime I've done it for any ex- extended period of time was um, more about just actually putting myself back in charge, I guess, of that relationship with food in terms of being like, well, can I hold on? I, I'm not hangry. Like, hangry is something we've just created. I, I don't think there was people 200 years ago going around giving out about being hangry, really. But now we... <laughs> Now we have a two. We have a three p.m. slump. Like that's something we've created. We have people being hangry is something that's a modern problem, really, because we've we just we have access to food constantly, and we often go for foods that aren't necessarily going to give us the the most sustainable release of energy and stuff. So, if someone doesn't have um, I guess their relationship or their behaviors in food or with food in check, it can be really beneficial to to be able to go periods and then you kind of have a bit more of a a bit more control and you can it's you can kind of be like well no I can go longer periods without food and if you are out in the field and you are going out for seven or eight hours like the last thing you want is to be hangry or to be like oh I need to get back because I need to eat I mean so it is a good thing to have in your locker to be like you know I'm and it's more of a mental battle I guess too that you can kind of yeah, you can just get on with it and do it. Because, I mean, we didn't have access to food the way we do now, you know, a thousand years ago, and we managed, you know. So there's definitely benefits to it. Um, it's probably not the be-all and end-all for every person on the planet, like the way you see it uh, released now. But, um, yeah, no, there's definitely proponents to it. What I would do is kind of be, like, agnostic in terms of the approach. I'd take a bit from everything and, like... Some people benefit from fasting, especially people with maybe high fast and blood glucose and insulin issues and stuff. And then other people will benefit from pulling different things from various other approaches. It might be some paleo, it might be um, oh, some keto for certain people as well. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. My experience with the fasting. The, the biggest thing is it, it releases you from your dependence on food and sort of that regimented approach that we have in the modern world is, you know, mum always told you, never don't you ever skip breakfast, you could have breakfast, lunch and dinner and, you know, invariably we're still drinking cups of tea and eating cookies at 10 o'clock at night and your eating window just gets more extended and the byproduct of that is you do become quite food dependent. When you actually start fasting and go through that process, um, it's amazing it, it, I don't want to say how quickly, but it's amazing. You do become very acutely aware of um, the fact that you were previously perhaps a little reliant on food and reliant on shitty stuff and the in-betweens to keep you, keep you up. I mean, it, it, my sister's doing it now. My partner Anna's doing it. My mother's started doing it. And they're all doing different periods for different amounts of time during the week and they're all having slightly different we're all getting positive results out of it, but they're all very personalized results, which is encouraging to me because they're not sort of sticking to the regimented 16-8, got to do this, this and that. They're making it work for their lifestyle. So it's a, um, it's something that's sustainable long-term. Um, so yeah, I just thought I'd I'd mention it. Well, I think the an easy introduction for people is, is to just do a 12-12. So if you have your breakfast at 8 a.m., have your dinner by 8 p.m. And that's usually because you're going to be asleep for ideally eight to nine hours of that fast anyway. So that's a kind of nice, gentle introduction to it for people. And if they want to extend that out a little bit and and eat then from nine to seven, that's fine. But like 12, 12 is a good way. Most people don't realize that they're fasting every night when they're asleep unless people are sleep eating. I don't know. But. <laughs> Anything else you want to add, Kenny? 
Any other world <coughs> pearls of wisdom for a... Um, um, I don't know. I would... Yeah, I think I, I kind of mentioned earlier on, uh, like, people need a bit more hardship and, <laughs> like, just, yeah, like, it's good. You, if you get a bit of hardship, you you have a bit of a struggle and then it's 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 more rewarding at the end. Like, you know, the, the anything that involves some bit of struggle or hardship is usually more rewarding than, you know, the instant kind of gratification lifestyles we live now and everything is at the touch of a button and you can sit here and order food and it'll be here in 10 minutes and... You know, it's just kind of nice to go the opposite direction and have a bit of hardship and suffer a little bit uh, in a safe manner. So, yeah, I mean, more like some of those things that I've done, more people, I've spoken to a lot of people that have been like, oh, wow, that's great. How, how did you, you manage that? Or, you know, I'd love to do that. And I'm like, well, just go do it then. It's not like that bad. It's not that hard or that bad. Like way more people would do them, those things if they realized how kind of doable they were. So yeah, that's all right. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, it's been good chatting to you. We'll, we'll, we'll cut it off there. I'm going to, I'm going to do another podcast with you before we leave Canada. And hopefully by that stage, you've done a bit more hunting and I'm, I really am enjoying sort of watching your evolution or your, your journey through becoming a hunter and getting some of those benefits and one of my favorite meals this year was when we sat down with myself and Anna and, and you and Rebecca and and had deer shanks um, from the deer that you harvested up up north there and you know to me that's that's a massive part of why I hunt you know the sharing a meal and enjoying it and having a good laugh of you know all the bits and pieces that happened during it and, and then sort of forging that memory and you know as people I think that Facing a bit of hardship is a good thing for you personally, but also facing hardship and challenges together is a something that, as a as a species, um, it really does develop relationships. And whether that's done in a sporting setting or a whatever it is, hunting's definitely one of those things where you can really form friendships and experiences with other people. If you know somebody who's never hunted before and showing a bit of an interest, take time out of your of your busy hunting schedule and and try and give them a, a positive introduction to it and bring a new person into the fraternity because the more people that hunt, the stronger we'll be as a as a group. And the more people that hunt correctly and fly the flag in a positive, ethical way, I think is very important too. Cheers for coming, bud. Yeah, thanks for having me. G'day. Thanks for listening to the Educated Hunter podcast. There are a number of ways you can connect with myself, Matthew Gibson, or my partner in crime, Curran Island, at The Educated Hunter. And the hub for all of this is our website, theeducatedhunter.com. Our Instagram page is at theeducatedhunter. Our website also has a spot where you can sign up for our newsletter that comes once every two weeks and is full of relevant information about hunting in New Zealand and around the world. And lastly, you can search out any of the episodes that we've done in the past and find the show notes on that episode. Other than that, thanks very much for listening and I hope you're having a good day wherever you are and your next hunting adventure is not too far away.